Today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. In Proverbs 6, verse 27, Solomon likens sexual activity to fire. And I think fire is a great illustration of what we're talking about. And like fire, there's a balance. Fire can be enjoyed or fire can be dangerous. Sex can be enjoyed or sex can be a peril and a danger. Every day it seems our culture moves further and further away from traditional biblical values. But while the settings and the circumstances may look a little different these days, sexual temptation has been a reality for people from the beginning of time. Today, Philip DeCourcy continues his Proverbs series by looking at Solomon's fatherly instruction on this important topic. It's a reminder of the potential joys and pitfalls of physical intimacy titled, Talking About the Birds and the Bees. Now, here's Philip to introduce today's message. I want to begin a two-part message on the subject of talking about the birds and the bees. We've said throughout this series in the book of Proverbs that this book is an earthy book. It uh, deals with life in the raw and then um, the reality of our daily experience. And one would imagine that a book that purports to address life in all its um, practical dimensions is a book that's going to address the issue of purity, and it does. And it does it in quite an extensive manner. In fact, Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 in large measure deal with the whole issue of moral behavior and sexual purity. And I want to spend a bit of time today looking at this issue for the benefit of all. Once upon a time, there was a man who visited a community of people who lived by a river. As evening approached, he was invited to sit down by the river and enjoy something to eat and something to drink with these river people. While they calmly and pleasantly enjoyed their food and company, a 14-foot crocodile suddenly came up out of the water, champed off the arm of a man sitting closest to the riverbank and then slipped silently back into the dark and murky waters of the river. The people were alarmed and shocked, but they quickly recomposed themselves. The man who had been um, injured was bandaged up and transported to the medical center that wasn't far away. But to the uh, surprise of the visitor and traveler, the majority of people quickly resumed their eating and drinking and conversation, just kind of picked up where they left off. The traveler was horrified at the sight of the man being bitten, and then this um, return to normalcy. After such a tragic and violent act, he, in fact, at times tried to bring the subject up, but he found that those around the ring who were eating and drinking quickly changed the subject and made it clear to him that they didn't want to talk about it. The man became frustrated, and in one final attempt, he said, did nobody see that? I mean, did I imagine... A man just got bitten by a 14-foot crocodile. Finally, someone in the group addressed him directly and said, we saw what happened. A number of people are attacked each year in our community by crocodiles. 
That caused the man to look around the group a little bit more intently, and he spotted that there were people sitting around the campfire whose hands were missing, whose feet were missing, there were fingers and ears missing. The man said, can't you do anything about the crocodiles? Another man in the group, with embarrassment clearly written across his face, answered him with these words, it's impolite in our culture to talk about crocodiles. The traveler was stunned into bewildered silence. That uh, story to me is a parable of how at times the church has addressed and dealt with the issue of sex and the issues that surround it. In impolite and godly company, it is not a subject to be talked about. And yet the crocodiles are wounding and maiming people emotionally and psychologically as it relates to this issue of sexual intimacy and activity. Yet nobody in the church seems to want to address the issue. Sex is an off-limits subject, not to be discussed in polite company, let alone in the holy company of the saints. While I understand fully that this is a sensitive issue, is an issue that ought to be addressed with a certain decorum and dignity. I nevertheless disagree with such an approach. The Word of God doesn't blush to address this issue. The prophets and the apostles of God have written extensively on this issue. And therefore, it is an issue that ought not to be cloaked in a coat of silence. It is not an issue that ought to be addressed with embarrassment. God created sex. And when we was finished on that first week, he said it was good. And Solomon as a father here in Proverbs chapter 5, 6, and 7 believes that also. He believes it's absolutely appropriate and it's absolutely necessary for him to address this issue with his children openly, honestly, and biblically, and urgently. As we come to Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, we have a parent talking about the birds and the bees to his sons. In the light of uh, the collapsing culture, in the light of a philosophy of free love that was becoming accepted in Israeli society, Solomon believed that it was a matter of pressing urgency and moral clarity that he sits down with his son and gives him a talk about the gift, the peril, and the joy of sex. I think Solomon understood that if he didn't teach his son the right view of these things, society at large would teach him the wrong view of these things. For this man and this parent, there was no separation of sexuality and spirituality. Solomon believed in sex education. So long as that education involved the right teacher, the right classroom, and the right curriculum. The right teacher being a godly parent, the right classroom being the home, and the right curriculum being the Word of God itself. And so I want to help parents, myself included, I want to challenge our young people concerning this issue. And before we go any further, in fact, I want to just stop and pause and encourage parents to take seriously their obligation to teach their sons and daughters regarding these matters. It's imperative that you do this. Don't leave it to the society. 
Don't leave it to your child's own experimentation. Sit them down at the right time, in the right seasons in their life, and help them come to grips with the biblical view of this issue. In fact, just by way of further introduction, let me say four things to parents as it regards this matter of sex education and your children. Number one, be bold. Do not be embarrassed. Speak candidly, speak appropriately, but speak forthrightly to your teenage children about this issue. Don't cloak it in a code of silence. The Bible speaks to this issue on numerous occasions. God doesn't blush, and you don't need to be embarrassed. And as you address this issue bravely and boldly with your children, Let your conversation be marked by reverence and let it be marked by sensitivity. In reference to reverence, we live in a gutter culture. We live in a culture that demeans the sanctity of marriage. We live in a culture that defaces the beauty of sex and sexuality. And as you address this issue with your child, speak with a certain dignity. Help them to understand that this is an appropriate subject to talk about, but it's sacred, it's beautiful, it's holy. And the conversation will be marked by that particular perspective. In reference to sensitivity, look out for those times when your child naturally discovers the opposite sex. During those years of puberty and physical development, when they begin to explore their own sexuality, be sensitive to that, be aware of it, be alert to it, be proactive, be preemptive, and have those answers ready to those questions that are coming. Don't leave it to the society. Don't leave it to some secular professor. Don't leave it to your child's unguarded heart. Be bold. Be candid. Get ready for this important role that God has given you towards your children. Let your descriptions be accurate and let your depictions be real. The temptations are real, but they can be overcome by God's grace and a knowledge of true love. Listen to these words from Howard Hendricks. He said this, Parents often conduct sex education like preoccupied motorists. They sail right past the stop signs and they sit like stalled cars in front of the green lights. Be ready. Be open. Be sensitive. Look for those teachable and appropriate moments in your child's life. I like the story that Howard Hendricks goes on to give in relation to what he just said about the little boy who asked his mother where he came from as a child. And his mother gave him a tall tale about a beautiful white feathered bird. The little boy ran into the next room and asked his grandmother the same question, and he got a variation of the bird story. He went outside and started talking to his little playmate, Jimmy, and he made this comment, you know, I just learned this morning that there hasn't been a normal birth in our family for three generations. When the kids are going to discover, they're going to think, they're going to act, be preemptive, be proactive, be bold. Take the Word of God Ask the Holy Spirit to give you help to speak candidly, appropriately, reverentially, and sensitively to your child and get them ready. Get them ready for the joy of sex as God promised it and planned it in the Word of God. Be bold. Secondly, be biblical. That sounds like a no-brainer, but I want you to understand when we talk about 
sex education, we're not talking as Christians about a biological lesson. The identification of body parts and the act in itself in some isolated form. No, when we talk about biblical sex education, we're talking about a theological discourse. We're talking about helping our children to think biblically, to think Christianly, to act in a framework of theological reality. That means that when you sit down to talk about the birds and the bees, you're going to talk about your child's body, how it's created in the image of God, the purpose for which it was given, the functions to which it ought to be applied. You're not only going to talk about their bodies, you're going to talk about love. What is love? Is it an impulse? Is it goosebumps? Is it a chill down the spine? Is it losing yourself in the presence of another person? What is love? Well, it is elements of that. It is emotional. But biblically, love begins with the will. It begins with surrender. It begins with understanding how God loved us in Jesus Christ, in his incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection, his selflessness. You help your child to understand what it means to love somebody. You help them to understand what is the appropriate behavior towards the opposite sex. Because they're going to come at a point in their life where they're going to get attracted to the opposite sex. It's really natural. But the Word of God says, okay, how do you treat a young woman if you're a young man? How do you treat a young man if you're a young woman? How ought you to dress? How ought you to speak? How ought you to act? The Bible says that the young men of the church ought to treat the young women of the church like their sisters. There's all sorts of verses that help our young men and young women know how to handle themselves in each other's company. You need to teach that. You need to be bold. You need to be biblical. You need to teach your young people gender roles. This is all in the, in the orbit of sexuality, the body, behavior towards the opposite sex, gender roles. Are the fathers of our congregation preparing their young men to be humble but but courageous leaders when God gives them a wife and blesses them with children? Has he taught them the ethic of hard work and responsibility of sacrificing, of not being passive, but trying to think through what is best for my wife, my child? Is that son at home now beginning to handle responsibility? Does he like to do chores about the home? Does he get up and get on with it, knowing that someday he will be responsible for a whole family unit himself? And are the young women of our church being taught by their mothers the high calling of motherhood? One of the greatest events in their life will be to bear children and then give themselves selflessly at home to those children. Are the mothers of our church helping their daughters to think through the issues of career as it opposes the home? There's all sorts of things to teach on this. It's not just a one-dimensional issue. It's not a biological lesson. It's a theological discourse. Are we going to sit down and help our young people and our children think through the one flesh issue? What's involved in sexual union? It's got tremendous physical, psychological factors to it. It's a spiritual act. It unifies a home. It brings intimacy and comfort to a couple. It's a wonderful thing. The right time, in the right place, with the right person. Be bold. Be Biblical, we need to furnish sex information as needed with a Christian interpretation to our children. Thirdly, be believable. Be believable. 
The best sex education any child can ever receive is to have a mother and father who are hopelessly in love with each other, who are not frightened to show affection, who help their child see in a biblical way there is a physical component to love. That mom and dad are a true physical counterpart to each other. How do young people catch a biblical view of these things? Well, just like chicken pox, you expose them to it. Parents need to teach, but they also need to live what they teach. Nothing builds a stronger foundation for holy, healthy sexuality in your child's life and my child's life than them to know that his or her parents are hopelessly and helplessly and abandonedly in love with each other. That romance is fun that these things have their proper place. Listen to these words from Douglas Wilson in his book, Reforming Marriage. Quote, There is a sexual relationship at the center of the home, which should be obvious to all who live there, hugs, kisses, and romantic attention. There's nothing wrong with children knowing that their father is male and their mother is female and that they should have a sexual relationship. There is something wrong when they don't know. I think, We see this kind of approach in Solomon here, and it will become apparent. Solomon was bold, Solomon was biblical, and Solomon was believable. Well, that could be qualified in another sense because one of the tragedies of Solomon is that one of the ways he taught his sons, sadly, was through teaching them good lessons from a bad example, which does remind me, by the way, as a footnote, that should you have field in this area as a parent, that should not stop you teaching your child the proper view of sex and the right perspective on marriage. Solomon certainly brought a certain reality to these words in that his sons would know the price he paid for not following the advice he was about to give to them. Solomon didn't learn lessons from the bad example of his parent, David, but he's hoping that his sons will learn good lessons from his bad examples. George Lawson, the commentator, says, The wisdom which Solomon teaches in this chapter cost him dear, but if we attend to his instruction, we shall have them at an easy rate. Finally, just reminding parents of the urgent need to help their children have moral clarity on these issues, be bold, be biblical, be believable, be balanced. What do I mean by that? Well, when you're teaching your child sexual boundaries and mores of conduct and behavior, use the carrot and the stick approach. Sometimes you need to use the stick. You need to remind them that if you do this, here's the consequences. And Solomon does that vividly as he paints on uh, on the canvas of chapters 5, 6, and 7 a vivid picture of what happens when you fall into the arms of the seductress, the physical penalty, the emotional pain, the financial hurt, the spiritual damage. It's all there. And he kind of uses the stick. There's, there's, there's warnings, there's prohibitions, there's censorship, and that has its place. Don't do, thou shalt not, is an approach that is appropriate. But he not only uses the stick, he uses the carrot approach also. He talks about the rewards of obedience as well as the cost of rebellion. 
because in Proverbs 5, 15 through 20, he talks about the joy of sex as God intended it within the context of a covenant between a man and woman who monogamously live with each other all their days in purity and fidelity. And he wants his sons to know, hey, you know what? Why would you drink a glass of dirty water that is illicit sex, when you can have a crystal clear glass of true sex in the context of marriage. And so he's wetting his child's appetite. He's saying, look, don't do this because you can have this. And there's a balance. And sometimes we as believers often focus on the negative aspects of this doctrine rather than exciting our children about the positive benefits of obedience. He does not simply repress he excites. In fact, in Proverbs 6, verse 27, Solomon likens sexual activity to fire. And I think fire is a great illustration of what we're talking about. In fact, Paul uses that image, doesn't he? In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 9, he talks about the burning in a young person, the sexual appetite, the drives that are natural. They need to be controlled and expressed biblically. In fact, Paul says, better to marry than to burn. I think Solomon, by implication, is encouraging young people if they truly believe that they're in love with each other and they want to marry, the sooner the better. Why leave themselves exposed to sexual temptation when that is unnecessary? So there's this burning, this, this fire that rages within, and, and, and like fire, there's a balance. Fire can be enjoyed or fire can be dangerous. Sex can be enjoyed or sex can be a peril and a danger. You can sit on a winter's night by your hearth with the fire where it's meant to be and enjoy it. It's very inviting. It's warm. It creates a beautiful atmosphere in the home. But you take that fire out of that hearth and you put it in the living room floor, it'll burn your house down. Fire is dangerous. We need to warn our children about not playing with fire. But fire is beautiful. It creates steam. It drives engines. It creates beautiful atmospheres. It's mesmerizing to watch as the flames dance within the hearth of the fire. So be bold, be biblical, be believable, be balanced. You're listening to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. There's more to come tomorrow in the message called Talking About the Birds and the Bees. But it's possible you'd like to hear today's lesson again or share it with a friend. You'll find it when you visit us online at ktt.org. Look for the series titled, That Makes Good Sense. At Know the Truth, we're committed to encouraging, engaging, and equipping believers by proclaiming the truth of God's Word with boldness, clarity, and conviction. And as we anticipate the vital summer months, we're confident that God will continue to grow and expand the reach of His Holy Word. But we can't do it without your help. We rely on the generosity of listeners like you to bring these Bible studies to your station every Monday through Friday and even on weekends. And when you give a generous one-time gift or sign up for a monthly auto gift, you help keep Know the Truth on the air so that listeners can continue growing in their faith. You'll also receive helpful resources to grow in your own faith. When you give any amount to Know the Truth in April, we'll express our gratitude by sending you a wonderful book titled A Dozen Things God Did With Your Sin and Three Things He'll Never Do. Every Christian has experienced days or even seasons of feeling extreme guilt over past or present sins, thinking that God is angry or disgusted with them, sometimes even wondering if they're truly saved. Author Sam Storms addresses this anxiety over sin 
by reminding believers of the good news of the gospel. Request a copy for yourself or give it to a friend. Call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And thanks for taking time out today to partner together with us. Let me assure you, your gifts are making a significant impact in the lives of listeners across the U.S. and even other parts of the world. Your gift, large or small, will mean so much. I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you to come back next time when Philip DeCourcy picks up where he left off, talking about the birds and the bees. Your practical wisdom from the book of Proverbs, Tuesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Free.